Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Golden Rule Revolution, where inspiration and purpose come from treating people like people and nothing less. With so much happening right now in society, with so much happening, I'm sure, in your social media feeds, and the charge that you might be feeling, I was reached out to on Twitter by a veteran named Justin Durham. And Justin brought up to me an issue that I have been incredibly passionate about for the past four years specifically, and that is veteran suicide. Let's not forget, in light of everything that's happening, that there are people taking their own lives because they have lost hope. They have lost connection and relationship, and they are sadly making a permanent decision to temporary problems. This episode is, um, you know, it takes, I, takes all sorts of turns and twists, but I think the overall message that we can get from this is we, got, we get to take care of our veterans. We get to love them. We get to create space for their healing and their trauma. And we also get to create space for our healing and our trauma. Brothers and sisters, we get to unite as a species on the beautiful human race that we are. Thank you for listening. Here we go. Justin, thank you so much for joining the podcast. This is, um, this is an important topic, brother. This is an important topic. Tell me, how did you even get to the point where you're talking about veteran suicide and, and um, saving life? Tell me your story, brother. So you want the longest short I don't know. You got to be more specific. What do you actually want to know? Because it's so much. Hey, well, let's start with... Um, well, let's start with you joining the military. Uh, you know, I got an uncle that served 39 years in the Air Force. Wow. Yes, he was actually the highest rated uh, non-commissioned officer in the Air Force. Wow. His name was Michael Dorch. So, okay, I don't know. It's a long I, I don't know. I could really go along, like, exactly as far as, like, where I'm from. Like my family has so much heritage here. Our lineage is so strong in our city. Like mm-hmm. growing up, like every sport I played, there's a banner with my last name. So wow. I got banners um, from, well, you know, in Pee Wee League, they don't do banners, but middle school, high school, like banners with all our last names on it. So you wow. talk about pressure, right? Yeah. And see, one of the things that got me actually interested in you, you did your TED talk about childhood. Yeah, that's right. You know, growing up, growing up, low income, black families sometimes tend to deal with travel. So that's what really got my attention as far as, you know, wanting to talk to you, especially as we're doing right now. But as far as like the, the military, my uncle had a strong influence. I have four uncles and I have eight aunts. Wow. So all four of my uncles have served. Wow. My, my oldest brother served, and I always want to be like my oldest. Like even my bald head. I didn't want to cut my hair, but I'm bald. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wanted to be just like him. So I joined the Army. He always told me not to do it. He said, I told you. I told you you should have never did it. told you. I told you. I didn't like it, you know, when I got into my behavior effort. Because it's a tough job, you know, to save people lives. Right, right. Like people come in with a lot of problems, and you're like, man, my life is hard enough. Mm. You know, I'm in Hawaii. People think it's a vacation. But when you got to work every day, you yeah. work at 12 hours a day 
and your job is to make other people, you know, have who have more freedoms than you. They have more income than you. They can do anything they want to do, and they still want to kill themselves, you know, commit suicide. And you have to convince them not to commit suicide, and that's what I did. But the reason I joined the Army had to do with my big brother and my uncles. Wow. Well, let's – I think – there's a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about. And I think let's, let's start with, before we get into your story, because one thing that I've known working with therapists and, and having a lot of emotional intelligence people on the podcast, that people that have an inclination to help other people are usually those with the greatest battles that they face themselves. So while you're in the army and while you're helping as a behavioral therapist, you know, what was what was it that you saw these soldiers struggle with that made them want to escape their body? Uh, they were basically disowned. Mm-hmm. You know, you're kind of your own entity in the army, on the military in general. So if you don't necessarily uh, buy into the standardization that the military preaches, because, mm-hmm. you know, if you buy into the standardization they preach, then it's their, their job is easy as supervisors and, you know, you go, when you get a DOD number, Department of Defense ID number, you are a government property. So you get ran by, everything goes back to the CIA, the FBI, and everything. You got the NSA, you got all these people you didn't even know you were involved with, but they run everything. So you belong to all of them. So wow. it's pretty tough, man. So you get this, you get this, this situation where, say, you get a headache, right? And you go in and they have a standard way of treating a headache. You have anxiety, they have a standard way of treating anxiety, depression, insomnia, uh, PTSD, bipolar, schizophrenia, everything. They're actually people who are on active service right now who are schizophrenic. Nobody knows. Mm. And there's people in service right now that have committed, tried to commit suicide several times. Mm. And they were just, only thing that kept them alive is they were unsuccessful. So they have standard ways of treating all of these, all of these problems that you have or illnesses or diagnoses. But majority of the time, soldiers deal with these situations because they feel disowned and left out. Because you got to think, it's kind of like, let me see if I can describe it. It's like the military is thought about and preached about like it's this big love. But really, a lot of times when you need treatment, it's kind of like walking into a big empty building. Hmm. I mean, so it's like, say, it says Army on the front of the building. You walk in, it's like nobody in. When you need them, you need personal treatment. You don't need a standard treatment. You need individualization. You need to be, but they really, you really are just a DOD number. Mm. You don't even, your social security number doesn't even matter. Your DOD ID matters. So that's what happens. Wow, brother. So your your job was to work with with people in that in that space. I mean, what would you do? How how would you help them? Uh just like we're talking right now, just like this, just like got it. Got I said, it got just it. like we're talking right now, it's like they they just need to have somebody there. And see, the thing, the reason I, my book is eighty one days of hidden suicide is on Amazon Kindle. The reason it's titled eighty one days because it's a guy. I can't say his name, you know, because uh, what do you call it? Uh, security reason. Yep. But uh, eighty one days. Usually, when you go on a, a psychiatric ward and you're getting treated for a mental disorder, you use on a tr- stay anywhere from a day to 72 hours, typically. Mm. But the guy wound up having to stay 81 days, and, you know, 
a lot of people didn't want to deal with, you know, the civilians, but every ship that came on and we worked five days a week and it's either you work seven to seven in the day or seven to seven at, you know what I mean, at mm-hmm. night. So either or, they always put me with the guy or with the person, the individual. Let me say it like that. I don't want to find um, disoriented or disrespectful, but I worked with him from 81 days because he tried to kill himself three times in one month. Wow. So the last time that um, made him get committed right before he had to stay on the uh, psychiatric unit for 81 days, he actually was very close to be within 10 seconds of being successful or killing himself. And the, what he did was he slit his wrist. And that's very, it's, 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 it's vulgar, I guess. You know what I mean? It's very, uh, very graphic. But that's what he did. He slit his wrist and he sat in the chair while he was bleeding out and took three or four pictures and then posted the picture of him bleeding out on oh, Facebook. Geez. So his team leader actually, the only thing to say to him is his team leader who saw him change his profile picture. And they called and the unit picked him up and they bought him to me and 81 days, because they was like, they couldn't, they wouldn't, they weren't, there wasn't the, uh, the staff and his unit, everybody wasn't sure he wanted to try to commit suicide. Mm. But he wound up, you know, he spent 81 days with me. We laughed, we talked, you know what I mean? Just being a friend, that's basically what I was, what I did for years. I could do that anymore. after that, I wow. changed everything. But he, he moved to Colorado just so he can smoke weed, I guess, because it's legal there. Yeah. So he's alive and well. Amazing. What, um, did you have your own battles with that? Well, my kind of, my story's a little different. I guess after that situation is what really changed my perception of what life and what the matter of being and belonging and family and friends, all of that stuff. Because, you know, I had it, a lot of people say I had it made in them, but I necessarily didn't feel that. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we all feel disowned at some point. Yeah. Because my own problems, like I would say, I would tell the doctors, like, I can't sleep. So they give you medication and the medication that works. I was like, well, my mood is wrong. They give you medication. My anxiety is up. They give you medication. They give you a pill for everything. Yeah. But a pill doesn't always um, accomplish what the desired effect is supposed to be. So, That's right. You know what I mean? It doesn't necessarily fix, fix everything. So, after I dealt with um, the individual I, I helped, I don't want to say, I hate to say save, but I don't think of myself as a hero. I think of myself as a plain, plain guy. But uh, I guess he could say, if you could, if you could ever check my Twitter or my Instagram or my Facebook, you could see that I was a very popular individual. I had a lot of female friends. And I was doing a lot of cool things in Hawaii, jumping off a lot of cliffs, playing a lot of golf. I was doing a lot of cool stuff until I met and had to deal with that situation. It really changed my demeanor. Hmm. And like my, even my affect, just the way I even looked at people, you know, hmm. it kind of changed. I didn't really smile as much. I wasn't as, even as active as much. It just kind of like, I can't believe these people disown um, service members like this. And it's just okay. It's almost routine. Right. You know, like I said, the standards of age. So with me, my thing was, what I decided to do was, I had a prescription for Adderall. And I had a prescription for like eight or nine other pills that they gave me for anxiety, depression, what else? insomnia, ADHD. I had high blood pressure. What else? Uh, hypothyroidism. 
And then for pain, I never took pain pills. I never got into that. I took ibuprofen. I don't know if I take two of those. Today. So I was like, you know what? I know Adderall is a narcotic. So I took six of those with me. So I took two and took four more with me. Then I took my buddy's car that used to let me loan me his car when I was in Hawaii. When he picked up some of the hottest women you could ever meet that I had known for a long time. And the whole time I'm drinking, I have like a half a gallon of whiskey. You know, so I'm like, today I'm going to kill myself. So we go out. So I'm on two Adderalls. We get to the bar. My favorite bar is uh, uh, O2's in Chinatown, uh, Honolulu. So we sitting there. I'm still drinking. You know, the half a gallon is in the car. I'm smoking my cigar like I usually do. I'm trying to hold on to reality. I was just being alive. It wasn't, it wasn't fun. I, like, I got all these beautiful women around me, but this isn't fun. So I started popping Adderall. So I wound up popping the last four. And I was like, you know what? This isn't doing anything. So I was like, let's go get some cocaine. So we went to Waikiki to Lewis Street. And we went to a place called Kelly O'Neill's because I know a guy there. And I went and got like two grams of coke. I was like, do the two grams of coke. And I was like, man, I'm still not there. So we went and got some marijuana. Got the marijuana. I get home, right? Somehow I made it on the base. I don't know <laughs> how. You know, I'm driving truck. I'm inebriated. I'm making all the mistakes you make when you're when you know when you're trying to die, or if you, you know a lot of people have died doing what I was doing. Got home, fell asleep, and I was like, "This is it. There's no way I'm gonna wake up." And I woke up with the worst headache in my life. Wow. But before that, I had tried to slip my wrist, and I was like, "This hurts too bad." So I was like, I'm never going to try to slip my wrist. So I'm going to try to overdose. So that was my attempt, or a futile attempts for suicide, two, the two main. And that's, that's in my book. It's a uh, chronicle in my book. I put it in. But I don't want to lie, man. There's nothing to be embarrassed about, man. A lot of people struggle with a lot. Yeah, brother. I mean, I attempted suicide at the age of 20. Tried to drive off a bridge, took my seatbelt off, floored it. And mm-hmm. a semi-truck cut me off. There's only reason I'm still here today and um, I understand it I also know and I want want to ask you and get into I think all pain especially people that want to escape their body and get out of this reality and and really finally falsely but think they're going to find peace through taking their own life really stems from childhood trauma man what do you- I don't disagree yeah, brother. So, I don't really have any much. That's basically like point blank information. I think that's very obvious. I mean, you know, as children, we're we're as we're as close to the source of where we come from as children. We come into this world, we're we're open, we're excited, our imaginations are are flowing, and we're we're just open. But that first time that that adult who is maybe a parent or who caretaker is supposed to show us unconditional love hits us, strikes us, intimidates us, threatens us, scares us. We learn as children very early on that it's not safe to be open. It's not safe to be ourselves that we learn conditioned by parents or school or whatever. And it's no different than being conditioned by the military to conform. But in order to conform, one must abdicate, you know, oneself. And I have a lot of friends, a lot of friends, combat veteran friends, 
In fact, mm-hmm. I don't even know. God has brought a lot of uh, a lot of warriors, even yourself, man, to, to find me and and uh, you don't have to be in combat to to fill up a warriors. And I mm-hmm. and I want to say to to you, brother, and to everyone listening. You know, Justin reached out to me via Twitter there and, uh, and then in email. And this is our real first conversation, you know, we, we, and this is the beauty of humanity. And this is the beauty of being able to connect with people all over the world and share our stories vulnerably because who knows, man, who's listening right now and is hearing you share that and say, geez, they ain't know it was that real. Yeah. But see, my thing about you, you, you're talking about preconditioning. I think a lot of us are born, you're born losing yourself because like you said, they create, they, they, they bore you into an anxiety disorder anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> As you stated, um, like you become something this different when someone corrects you, whether it's disciplinary or just in general. Yeah. But this is how you say such and such, or this is how you eat, this is what you're supposed to eat. But yeah. see, as you grow older, you go and see everything and you've done as much as I've done. I've done a lot of, I'm not I'm trying to control my profanity, but you've done a lot of things and you're like, man, I'm finally myself. And it's, it's wow. a shame that you have to go through so much just to able, be able to even share your story. And then the fact that you want to share your story, people might frown upon it mm-hmm. or they might not accept it. It's just like when I watched your video on YouTube and I seen the uh, dislikes of the video, I was like, why would you dislike something, such a good message? You know, he's trying to bring something to you yeah. that you should be okay with. You should not be. It should be no dislikes on that video. But it's like it's like ridiculous. I could I don't know. It, that, I don't know, man. People have their opinions, but I'm like really upset about it. I guess because people think, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, what is the corporate disciplinary measures are necessary to raise children? I don't because my nephews or I don't. Like when they mess up or whatever they do, because I don't have any children, but I have my nieces and nephews. Yeah, I, I might yell at them, but I would never. I can't. I could never bring myself. Yeah, it's but, uh, you know, it's funny you bring up. It's funny you bring up the the thumbs down on my TED TED talk. That that was just an orchestrated effort by by the abuser and and uh, and his crowd. To, that's what's crazy. That's ridiculous. People got that much time on their hands. Man. You know, it's what's interesting, brother, is this is what I love about just connecting with you is you and I did not have, did not grow up in the same households. We have not had the same stories, yeah. but when we can connect as human beings, brother, and connect is that soul level. Souls. It's man, just six cents. It. People don't know that. That's People right. don't know that your soul is just six cents. They don't know that. But, that's you right. know, that's a lot of studying to do. So for, let's talk about, I mean, you sent me something and I um, I knew the stat or I used to talk about veteran suicide quite a bit. The 26 veterans committed, commit suicide every single day. But you sent me <clears throat> updated facts stats. From the government accountability, they got it. So when you do accountability, you got to get to the facts. It's amazing. A veteran commits suicide every 72 minutes of every day. Think about that. 70, somebody... Dying as we're doing this, or they're killing. That's insane. So that's what, insane. It is insane. It and it's tragic, and it doesn't have to be. 
it does not have to be that way. And in fact, the veterans, anyone that's willing to serve and go through basic training and, you know, you could hate it, you can love it, you can whatever if you're in it, but anyone who's willing to put their life on the line, man, deserves to be honored and cherished and respected and upheld. <clears throat> and, and I think what it really stems from, look at like our media situation. So I come from, I was a journalist, I was a TV reporter for years. Mm-hmm. If, if the media with as much energy that they're pushing coronavirus scare and all these things, if they turned it for good, and if they started talking about veteran suicide, if they started talking about child abuse, if they started talking about things, man, the world would be different. And that's why I'm on a mission. This podcast, the tagline is mm-hmm. to treat people like people and nothing less. Man, if I don't stand for your breath, if I don't stand for your health, mm-hmm. I'm not standing for my health. It's a fallacy to say, oh, I'm just going to look out for me and you know, mm-hmm. fuck everyone else because – Everyone else is connected to me. My brother, Justin, in Florida, your life matters as much as my life matters, brother. It does. And my thing about the media and why they don't cover veteran suicide as much, I think I'm fairly certain it's not a conspiracy that the military would close a lot of those outlets. I Mm -hmm. really do. So that's why they tend to cover things or topics that are politically correct or okay by, you know, such agencies that govern us every day. So that's why I think, like I said, but I know that's why they don't cover it. Because if they did, if they highlighted that point, it would bring a shadow over some of the methods they have and, you know, indoctrinating indoctr- us into, you know, their philosophy and the way we're supposed to act when we join the military and stuff like that. So they don't want to talk about that. That's why. So if, you- if they do, they're going to get, they're going to get closed. Yeah, they they get that fine. That they get that fine. The FCC fine. Yeah, man. I remember one time I, I, uh, my very first job as a TV reporter was small market. I was in Yakima, Washington, and uh, I was the morning reporter. And I was live every morning, and I was the one man band reporter. So that means I not only reported, but I had to hook the camera up, uh, run the satellites from the truck, run. Wired. It was. It was. Crazy. You were the rookie, man. You were the yeah, rookie. I was rookie, getting paid eight thousand a year, starving. I mean, people are like, "Man, you were really thin back then." I was like, "Yeah," because I couldn't. I couldn't even afford food. I was yeah. that hungry. But uh, I didn't know this one morning that the tower broke, and so we were live the entire time. My camera and the conversation I was having with with this guy was live on TV the entire time. And the TV station didn't know because they could still see the controls going back and forth. They didn't know that um, people at home just saw my camera. So Hmm. this guy's telling a story about the guy I was with. It was uh, in October. It was during uh, a corn maze. And so I was at a corn maze. Everything happens in October. My birthday's in October. Oh, nice, man. (laughs) Well, this, this guy was telling a story about his infidelities. He was telling me all about stuff. Oh no! Oh no! Listening and and uh, but I never swore. I never said anything inappropriate. And uh, I get back to the station, find out what's going on, and they they said, "Thank goodness you were the reporter that this happened to. You didn't say anything inappropriate because the rest of us would have gotten a uh, FCC fine." Fine. Yeah. Anyway, brother, I just tell that story because it's funny that yeah, the, they do find these stations and they they do. Come they do. Out. Yeah. 
<clears throat> well, what have you done for your healing journey that now that you're, you know, are you still taking all those pills? Or are you still, are you in, where are you in your healing journey? Well, I take my blood pressure and my thyroid medication. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not really big on Adderall anymore. Take my ibuprofen when I have a headache or yeah. my, I got arthritis in both my feet, my knees, and both my hands. So like I said, I'm not a big fan of pain pills, but I take it Yeah. every so often, you know, if it gets really bad. But as far as like healing, the only thing that heals me is writing. So I'm writing my second book. Mm. So more yeah. I can write. I get depressed, you know, like I said, I try to do like a hundred words a day at the very minimum. I, you know, it's actually a cool story about a guy that started a website and he would write a hundred words a day. It's like one of the most popular websites in the world right now. Hmm. I can't remember the name of it, but it's pretty dope. And it just he just said, you know, I just felt like writing a hundred words a day. So, you know, I just write my second book, it's a crime till it's probably not gonna be exactly probably nothing like my last book. Be like something I hopefully they can turn into a screenplay and make a movie about that's pretty cool. You know, kind of like uh, the guy that did Get Out and Us. What's his name? I can't remember his name, but something like that. Something cool. That's mm -hmm. it. So long as I can write, I try to write like a hundred words. Like even if you read my content right now, it just says entry for such and such a day. Just, mm. just hundred words. Love it. So that's it. So for veterans out there, I mean, what have you What's your recommendation for them to, to get over? I mean, how, how can we help the veterans right now feeling alone, feeling lost, feeling broken? Well, I wouldn't say spend too much time with them because, you know, everybody has their own life. They got their own things they have to deal with. I would say or suggest that, you know, when they do speak to you, speak back. And this guys that walk up, like I said, I'm in like a low-income area now, just back home. I'm just chilling. I'm happy to be kind of hidden. Hmm. So I'm kind of hitting, I kind of like, it. but even guys that walk by and they're like dirty and they smell bad and they're kind of like disoriented and they're not saying anything coherent. I still speak to them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whether they're veterans or not. So just listening and talk to people, it's the only, the best thing you can do. You hmm. know, you don't necessarily give them money all the time. Cause money doesn't solve everybody's problem, but okay. you know, if you can help, help that way, if you know they need something, give it to them. You know, don't try to judge them and say, well, you're not like, you must still get the honor with this charge because you're on the streets. But a lot of people that are on the streets that are veterans they have, they have honor with this charge. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? They just yeah. got in the situation when they got out and they realized civilian life isn't anything like what it's like to be in the military. Yeah. And nobody's going to give you the one up just because you serve because everybody doesn't um, support military efforts because a lot of people want to be nonviolent. You know, more people are more liberal. See, they see the military is a more conservative Republican thing. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah. But that's what it is. No, that's not a liberal agenda thing. You know what I mean? Like right. I'm gonna go join the army and go support troops. I mean, you know I mean build troops overseas and shoot people in Iraq and Iran. That is not what liberals are about at no. all. By no yes no. <laughs> against at all. Actually they would actually actually they would go against you if they could. That's they're, they're trying to minimize the military and they always have been that. So yeah. It's interesting right now watching it's interesting watching um Donald Trump right now because he's built the military back up, but he's also withdrew a lot of the troops and he's actually you know, we didn't go to war with North Korea. We're we're not engaging in conflict. And it's it's an interesting mm -hmm. thing right now where because I agree with you, just watching the rhetoric and the narrative that's taking place, man. It's uh 
I think we're seeing how it can be done, built up strong, but also not needing to be aggressive, uh, you know, for for the sake of whatever interests of who, whomever, you know. And yeah, I'm nonpartisan. I'm not going to try to pick sides. But I know liberals. They if they could not have a military, they probably would. It'd be very small. It'd be a bunch of specific special ages, special soldiers, special these people. These have these secret agendas that they carry out, and you know they take out necessary assets, but. As yeah. far as like a worldwide, I'm in a, I'm in a nationwide military and stuff like that. Liberals don't, they don't. Man, it's just running there, Jimmy. You know, and it's funny. It, liberal, conservative, these are just things. At the end of the day, everyone just wants to be loved. Everyone wants to just be. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Everyone yeah, just wants but to. But you get caught up when you join the military. You get caught in a. You are in a war. You don't even know. You have no idea. You're like I'm just signing up to serve my country. You're serving the agendas of individuals who are influencers. And mm. policymakers mm. and legislators, yeah. Because if you if you, you when you join the military, they tell you off grid. If you say anything uh, against the president on any of your social media, you're a conscientious dissenter. So you can actually be killed by firing squad. Still, yeah, yeah. Because that's treason. <laughs> Amazing, man. Yeah. Amazing. So, tell me about your book and how people can find it and uh, what you're working on right now. So you want to hear a funny story? Yeah, bro. Like, I actually wrote my book as a working project, right? And I say, you know what? I just want to put it out there because for years, we are like, you're going to write a book? You can't say this. I did it. You know, I wasn't so right to put it out there. It was a working project. Then I came back, like, months later, like, oh, shit, this is actually public information. Let me fix a little bit. <laughs> so I went back. <laughs> so I got, so I, you know, it's still not grammatically sound, you know, but it's there. But, uh. I wrote it in six days. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wrote it in six days. And the other thing is, I have never read my book. Mm. I only, I've only read sections of 81 Days of Hidden Suicide. It's on Amazon Kindle. It's nine ninety nine because I've made it nine ninety nine not to make a profit to get rich, but I made it that way so to protect my intellectual property, yeah, you know, my human capital. Because if I make get free like the lady did on 50 shades of gray there's no guarantee they're going to pick up a black man's store they could profit and do anything with it and i probably have a tough time trying to get back my copyright and trademark rights to my own book so wow that's why i made it 9.99 but uh my second book is actually like a comedy crime thriller and it's kind of loosely based on a lot of what i went through already but it's it's more funny and it's more of a story tell me about life right now with uh the quarantine lockdown and how your life's been the past couple months with this with this craziness. Man, I live around a lot of African Americans or black folks. Yeah. We don't we we not worried. Yeah. <laughs> We're not worried. Nobody everybody's still doing everything they've been doing. You know, yeah. except for when you go to the grocery store, that's the only time you run into trouble. Yeah. But you know, here in Florida where we are, they're loosening up, you know, the bars are opening. Uh, my buddy just came back. He wants me to go to the strip club with him later on. To be honest, so we're basically like doing some of the same things. Cause you know, I haven't been, but I haven't been to a bar since I think what March, the beginning of March, or something like that. Like they, uh-huh. they, yeah, I haven't done anything. So that's the only reason I'm thinking about going with my buddy to the strip club. But we're basically getting back, cause you know, in Florida they open up Northwest Florida they open up the beaches on May first. Wow. So we've been almost back up to speed. But as far as like McDonald's and stuff, you, I don't think you can still go in the lobby. But you can mm-hmm. go through the drive mm-hmm. at restaurants like that. So I think it's I think it's I think it's 
fucked up because I got a lot of friends in Hawaii. You know, Hawaii is a small island that work at some of them. There's only a couple bars of like major bars. There's only a few restaurants that are major restaurants on the island that I was on in Oahu, and they won't have their jobs. Yeah, they don't get to go back to work for that because right. the owner lost a lot of money. He can't pay his rent for the owners. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think when this thing lifts and people see the reality of people lost jobs, people, it, it's going to get ugly. But, but this is my hope, and this is why it's important that you and I are talking, and this is why it's mm-hmm. important that we we band together. Is when we can when we can talk on a human level to people. I don't care, black, white, and who cares, man? You got a breath in your lungs. I'm twenty twenty. Yeah. yeah, you know, you got breath. I have breath. That's what unites us, you know. And and yeah. uh, I'm ready to lock arms with people and say, it's time to stand for the beauty of humanity. You know, a rainbow is beautiful because it's different colors in unison, bending and working together. Man, I don't I'm not looking for one color. Who cares? One color. It's all colors. It's beautiful, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what I'm excited about. Is we come out of this and we see, yeah, there's going to be heartache. There's going to be devastation. Have you have you actually been to Hawaii? I've been. I've never been to uh, Honolulu. I've only been to Maui. But you know the rain. How often do you see a rainbow in Hawaii? Oh, all the time, man. All the time. yeah, that's what I'm saying. So you yeah. can like do you all the people that come in, all the tourists and stuff. Yeah, like yeah, so many different people on that island. It's kind of like Florida. You know, Hawaii's just, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, not connected to the continental U.S., but Florida and Hawaii has a lot of similar traits. But there's so many different people doing so many different things. And yeah. it's okay to be different. That's what people have to understand. That's, that's right. Like, that's right. Standardization and normalcy is what leads to what you're talking about, child abuse and stuff, because you don't yes. fit into the standard. Yes. And you're not what they consider normal. You will suffer the consequences. And that's it's right. not fair to people, especially children growing up, because we can't make our own decisions that's by right. law. That's right. Until you're 17 or 18. That's why one of the things that, that I talk about is saying the pain stops with me. It stops with me. My children, I have three children and they'll never, they've never experienced and they never will experience the trauma and the pain. And I re- I raised them to use their voice. We practice literally brother. We practice them saying no in different ways. And I talk about your voice is the most powerful tool that you have. And we have yeah. lost the ability to say no, like, no, not no, no, you know, I think nah, like, over like, no, <laughs> <laughs> like you'll stand down right now. And, yeah. and I tell them, you know, what bullies hate worse than anything is attention brought to them. I don't yeah. care if it makes you look silly. If you go, no, you know, and everyone looks like what's going on. That bully's going to yeah. walk right away. You don't even need to fight that bully. Bullies don't like attention mm-hmm. and we can solve. And I look, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not talking about sunshine and rainbows and butterflies and bumper sticker. I'm not talking about this. Another, I'm talking about the real world, but the realest mm-hmm. version of this world is us using our voice to, to stand in our own power and say, no, it's time that you know, we tell people that perpetuate pain. No. I see my thing though. We, we know we speak E. Bionics, I guess, but like, <laughs> I'd be like, when I would like, I tell people like, nah, dog, this ain't gonna work for me. I don't know what you got going on. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, 
but now, nah, dog, this ain't gonna work. You see, That's when it. you get to the, be able to say that and say that confidently, yeah. and not have other individual move you because out of fear of violence or the anxiety they create in you, because you're supposed to be afraid of somebody to put, That's right. trying to put you in that situation. But like now, nah, I don't care what you try to do, whether the police come, the teachers come, my mama come, your mom, whoever, like, That's this right. ain't gonna work for me. That's right. It's not gonna work. That's how it has to be. Like you're absolutely right. It has to be that way. That's right, brother. You know, I, I talk a lot about uh, PVT, pitch, volume, tone. Mm-hmm. Pitch, we, you know, it's one thing to say no. Uh, you know, no, it's another thing to say, you know, pitch, the volume, the tone, the, the cadence, everything, man. We, and that's why I, I love hearing that you're healing by writing is because getting our voice out, whether it be in paper or in person or in podcasts like this or wherever we are, the more we share Look, you and I, we're creating something together right now. We're co-creating, and it's gonna be tough. I don't know. It's gonna, it's gonna be crazy for somebody not to like this video. I don't know how it's gonna work out. Or how you gonna share? It. <laughs> this is like, I'm like laughing at myself, and I'm not laughing at you because you're a little more more prepared than me. I kind of came in like last minute on the hop. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't oh, really. Sorry. Yeah, but okay. yeah, man, this is this, this is totally dope. I do want to say that though. This is dope. Well. I got a couple more minutes and in, in a couple more questions for for anyone listening that that's struggling with suicide, especially veterans. What do you want to tell them? Don't kill yourself, man. Like for real. Like that's the most important thing. Life is everything. Mm-hmm. So when you wake up and it's difficult, you're looking at yourself or you even your thoughts, because a lot of veterans studied. Uh, deal with schizophrenia or bipolar so they're hearing a lot of different voices in their head also mm-hmm. so you're dealing with things in your mind and you're dealing with things you hear from people personally also face to face the most important thing is to remember to find your own voice to know your own voice and remember life over everything so mm-hmm. even if it's not pretty there are people doing worse to you and that's not to brag or something like that but it's somebody doing worse and they're just having it they're probably smiling and some people smiling and some in a terrible situation because they are just happy to be alive. So life is everything because you can't do it. When people say money is the most important thing, but you can't have money without life and time. So time first, focus on your time and what are you going to do with your time? So if you wake up and you're like, man, I don't want to be alive or this, this, what are you doing with your time that can make you not feel like that's Mm. my hope. Mm. It's beautiful. So find right? something better to do than to commit suicide. There's a bunch of other things you can do, right? You can run. You could, I don't know. I, there's a million things. You know, you could, I, even gambling. Some of the, if you want to go have a bill, go have a bill. I don't know. You know, just don't do anything, you know, violent or anything. You wind up in prison and jail right. because there are actually veterans that actually drive to the VA because a lot of people are angry at the VA. And it was like one guy, he was actually a major. He was fairly high ranking in the military who set himself on fire in front of the VA to protest the treatment of, um, you know, him not getting the necessary treatment he needed for his diagnosis. Right. Wow. Like, yo, that is really extreme. It's really bad. And I want people to know, like, to understand, like, I, we, it's, there are people out here like me that understand it's not fair. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of life ain't fair, man. And like, that's what people don't understand. Life ain't fair to nobody. That's even right. if you're rich, even, even Bill Gates, Warren Buffett. Yeah. It's not fair to them. Or even Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg, even Donald Trump. It's just like not fair. People are going to build you up to break you down. So yeah. don't let them break you to a point that you actually take your life, man. 
life is everything. You can't do nothing if you're dead. That's good. That's no. it, brother. It's over. Solomon said in, uh, we read in the book of Proverbs, he said, where there's a lack of vision, the people perish. Yes. Lack of vision, the people perish. What, what's, uh, What's the vision for the rest of your life, brother? What are you hoping to accomplish and, and what impact are you looking to make in this world? The trajectory of my life? Yeah, brother, the vision. I think I did it. I've done a lot, you know, because I self-published a book and I did it in six days and I did what? It was only like 15,000 words, but I got my story out. Mm. And see, people don't get their story. Like, you got to tell your story. You, mm. you don't have to be a victim of silence. Like you see, you got to use your voice. Yeah. So, you know, there's like, what, 30 or 40 something million books, ebooks, or paperback books available on Amazon. And, you know, my book was ranked in like the 119 some thousand out of the world. And I didn't do anything but promote it on Twitter. That's it. Wow. I thought wow. that was like the dopest thing in the world. That's so, cool. you know, I just got my story out, man, because somebody, read my book somewhere or they saw it and I talk about it and I sign autographs. I actually sign autographs. That's so like, awesome. hey man, this is me. This is like really who I am. They're like, you got a book because it's so hard to write a book and I yeah. did it by myself and I wasn't even really that coherent when I did it. I just did it and it turned out okay. That's it. So That's just get beautiful. your story out, man. And whatever manner you can, it's important that you tell your story because everybody's story is important. That's right. That's right. That's right, brother. I'm so thankful to have you on. I'm glad you were able to tell your story. And and um, is it okay that I put your email in the show notes? People reach out to you if they're looking to connect. Yeah, but can I ask you? I don't even know if I have a question. I feel rude, but I didn't ask you any question. Hey, what brother. does it feel like? To even, how, how does it, how does it feel to actually host this podcast? I I you had Gordania on there. I saw that. That shit was dope. Oh <laughs> man! <laughs> like how you even get her? She reached. She likes my tweets. Yeah. You actually had on the show. That's I, dope as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I have truly, I have no idea how she, she started following me on Twitter one day and I followed her back. I looked at her. I, I will never forget. I'm in the car and I tell my wife, like someone with like 300 something thousand people is following me right now. And she's like, who? Mm-hmm. And I start looking like her content, it, her words are like, my soul's melody, you know, and I just like, who is this? And then one day I saw she had an opening for clients. I reached out and I hired her as a coach. And then we just became friends, man. And, and, uh, I've done three, we've done three podcasts together. We're coming out with a course, um, just a lot of beautiful stuff, man. And that just like how you and I met, I mean, I don't, I don't know how it works. I don't know how the, the spirit realm or I guess I call it the spirit realm or the, you know, the, the realm we can't see, man, connects people. Yeah. And, uh, but I do, I know, that, the, I do know this, brother, that hurt people hurt people, but healthy people heal people. And those that have been hurt and worked on being healed are the ones that are connecting right now around the world to go out and heal other people, to stand for healing, to stand for, for life, man. And um, that's what I'm on the mission for. I'm not afraid. I'm not backing down i'm not one keep going keep helping people find their voice and speak mm-hmm. and, um, and heal so well i'm not gonna hold you up i know you gotta go but if nobody tells you today man i'm proud of you man thanks, lucas brother. keep doing what you're doing you're doing a good job thanks brother i hey i, I received that real that blesses me brother thank well, you make sure i get this video man oh, I'll get in contact. Well, yeah man I'll, I'll edit this we'll put it out live uh in i got 
this is going to go live in a couple weeks. So I'll send you the link. You'll get it all. Be on YouTube and be on uh, iTunes and Stitcher and all that stuff. All right. Well, I'm going to start the video so you can go. As long as we laugh, it was a good interview. We were good. <laughs> That's good, brother. All right, buddy. Thank you. Thank you, man. I'll talk to you. Well, my brother, Justin, thank you so much for joining, sharing your story. And I just encourage you to keep going on your path. Keep bringing more light, more love, and more inspiration into this world. My brothers and sisters, where there's a lack of vision, the people perish, Solomon wrote. And he also wrote, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So no vision, no hope, no hope, sick heart. Sick heart eventually leads to death, death of culture, death of society, death of self. And instead of trying to engage society to touch the heart that gives some hope to hopefully have a vision, let's get back to the great vision that we can have where all men and women are created equal and treated equal, that we can unite in love and light for one another to give the highest good for one another. And where there's anger, brothers and sisters, that is just a sign for you to go inside and heal more, more pain. There's nothing wrong with being angry. However, if you don't heal that which makes you angry, you will always be subservient to the narrative, to the imagery, to the content that can quickly take you out of your power. And I hope that you awaken, that we awaken as human beings to be the invitation for others to come out of their trauma, to come out of the pain, to come out of those circumstances and those relationships and family dynamics and social constructs that keep us from experiencing the love and light, the beauty and majesty of having breath in our lungs. This is my hope for you. Keep Keep on doing the work, brothers and sisters. Keep on doing the work. You're not alone. My name is Lucas Mack. This has been the Golden Rule Revolution, where inspiration and purpose come from treating people like people and nothing less. I'll talk to you on the next episode.